When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a mistake to maintain a culture that has more reverence for feelings than beliefs. But that's where we are. Social media trained many of us to feel that the police were randomly killing black men across the country. Statistics and facts did not and do not support that feeling. We ignored the facts and worked to assuage feelings. We demonized and defunded law enforcement. Social media drives our overemphasis of feelings and our hostility toward religious beliefs. Emotion powers feelings. You arrive at beliefs after years of deliberation and more deliberation. Our society was more unified when we judged beliefs and were less concerned with protecting feelings. Social media turns everything into a slogan or hashtag Slogans burnish brands and manipulate truth. The Respect for Marriage Act disrespects marriage and the faith that created the institution. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Thursday uh, to you and yours. The weekend, just 24 hours away, just around the corner. And we, ha- we will have made it through another work week. I hope you've enjoyed uh, the week so far. Uh, it's about to get better. Uh, we have a fantastic show on tap for you. We're going to talk about the Respect for Marriage Act. Uh, that the Democrats and Republicans, that the Uniparty is uh, shoving down our throats. Uh, We'll do that with Dave Shannon a little later in the show. Uh, We're going to start the show on a much lighter note, talking sports, uh, with the Korean Cosell, uh, Steve Kim. And uh, we're going to finish the show off, uh, last but not least, the hostess with the mostest, the first lady of the Fearless Army, Shamika Michelle's going to join us. Uh, so we have a fantastic show talking sports. There's a big Thursday night football game uh, tonight, the Packers and Tennessee Titans. I live here in Nashville. It's a big deal. The game's in Green Bay. Uh, Draymond Green, did he destroy the Golden State Warriors? We'll talk about that. There's rumors uh, LeBron James is headed to the Phoenix Suns. We'll, we'll talk about that and a little bit more uh, with Steve Kim to start the show. Uh, then we'll transition into the conversation I previewed in the cold open. And then we'll wrap it up with uh, Shamika Michelle and have her make it make sense. And we'll do an approval rating on Michelle Obama. Michelle said something very interesting that's got Shamika fired up. Uh, But before we do any of all, any of that, (laughs) I get to talk with you guys about my favorite organization, Preborn. You guys know what we're doing at Preborn. We're saving babies' lives. Preborn, The Blaze, Jason Whitlock, Fearless Army, Fearless Soldier, we've committed to saving 50,000 lives in 2022 
Guys, we got about six, seven weeks left. Uh, we're headed into the holiday season. Your hearts should be beaming with pride about your family. You should be thinking about ways of helping other people create families, create the kind of memories that make the holidays special, that make Thanksgiving special. Just think, just think if your parents didn't have you, if they'd aborted you, would you be preparing for Thanksgiving and then Christmas and your kids and grandkids and all the special stuff we enjoy this time of year? That's why we're so committed to saving lives because we respect the sanctity of life. We know how important it is to our enjoyment of life. And we want to give that gift uh, to expectant mothers, mothers that are, have questions in their minds about what they should do with the baby growing inside of them. Uh, what preborn does, it gives them an ultrasound. It shows them that baby in the womb. It lets them hear the heartbeat of that baby. And when a woman hears that heartbeat, when she sees that baby in her womb, it confirms her decision to keep the baby. And then preborn steps in and starts talking to the woman about her walk with Jesus Christ and faith. And then they start providing the diapers and everything they need, cribs, all the support that the woman needs to get through the pregnancy and get the child's life started in the right direction. Preborn comes in and provides that all free of charge when that woman chooses life. Uh, Preborn has counseled half million women. They've saved nearly 200,000 babies' lives. Uh, we're going to continue on that mission this year and next year of saving more and more babies' lives. You guys know how I feel about this as it relates to our vow to be fearless soldiers. Uh, this is a way of showing that we're serious about that. You guys have seen me. I do a monthly donation to preborn. I give extra money to preborn. I start talking about preborn and I get fired up, but I want to get you guys fired up. So all you got to do, pound 250 on your phone, say the keyword baby, or you can go the way I like to go because I'm old and I like to give myself credit. Uh, I go to preborn.com slash Jason. That's preborn.com slash Jason. And I give my donations. That way, there's a little tab you can mark down and say where you heard about preborn from. Uh, I want the credit. This show wants the credit. We as the Fearless Army want the credit. Uh, makes us feel good about ourselves. The holiday, we're out doing things. Hey, you guys saw Dan Steiner come on the show, and I had him come on the show for a specific reason. I wanted you guys to know where your money went. This isn't one of those bloated charities where a bunch of mid-level executives are getting six-figure salaries. This money, your donation, $28 pays for one ultrasound, $140 pays for five. Your money goes directly to those ultrasounds. Be a good fearless soldier. Preborn.com slash Jason, pound 250, say the keyword, baby. Let's support life. All right, uh, now let's support a little sports talk uh, with you all's uh, favorite contributor on the show. Uh, he's a contributor that I tolerate until we can find a replacement for him. Uh, and we're interviewing candidates constantly uh, trying to upgrade our sports conversation because uh, you guys, for some reason, seem attracted to or like Steve Kim perhaps a little too much. Uh, we may boot Steve Kim over you know, to some other outlet. 
Um, let's let's see how Steve Kim performs without me carrying most of the weight. Uh, but I, I hear your feedback, and you guys like Steve Kim, so we keep bringing him back. Uh, so reluctantly, uh, let's welcome Steve Kim uh, back to the show, the Korean Cosell, and let's talk a little sports. Uh, Steve, <laughs> uh, happy Thursday to you and yours. Uh, boy, if we could trade you, I would love to do it. Uh, we're going to keep interviewing candidates until we can get mm. rid of you, but today we'll you. tolerate you once again. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, we'll tolerate you once again. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Blaze audience and the Fearless Army, they only like me because they don't really know me that well, but I, I am glad to be here <laughs> as our football weekend gets started. So much to talk about, Mr. Whitlock. There is a lot to talk about. You know what? I almost included a college football question in my list of things I want to talk about because I know you you love college football yeah. and I want to play. You know, we may do that tomorrow. We may do that tomorrow. Uh, but we're going to start today by talking about the big Thursday night football game. Tennessee Titans travel to Green Bay. Short note, a bunch of Tennessee starters are not going to play tonight, not going to be active. Uh Packers ended a five-game losing streak by beating the Cowboys last week. Uh, do you expect, at home, short week, expect Aaron Rodgers and the Packers to remain, or to get hot, I guess. They're just warm right now. They're one-game streak. You expect them to stay hot? I don't know. This is such an interesting game to me because, Jason, this is a must-win situation. And, you know, I, I love when people say, well, there, there's no such thing as a must-win game in November. Jason, when you are 4-6 and six and you're already about, what, four games behind the 8-1 and one Minnesota Vikings, that's bad enough. Here's the other thing. If you look at the a NFC Beast, okay, the best division in football, there are four teams with better records than the Packers. In other words, these wild-card slots, they may not be available for anyone outside that division so I'm not saying the Packers have to win every single game from here on out, but they can't lose a lot of them. Now, the injury situation is a variable. You're playing a quarterback that I don't think is elite. I will pick the Packers. I wouldn't bet the house on it, but one thing I'm looking for, can they establish the running game once again with Dylan and Jones? And can that young kid out there, Christian Watson, who finally showed up to his rookie season, can he start to string together some consistent games of production? They're at Lambeau. I don't know if it's the frozen tundra just yet, but I'm telling you, this is almost a you've got to win this game situation. Yeah, I think it certainly is a must win uh, for Green Bay. But I also think there's some pressure on Tennessee. And I know they have a two-game lead in the AFC South. Uh, but the Indianapolis Colts, at least after one week of Jeff Saturday, look a little interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. Matt Ryan is back at quarterback. Uh, the, the Colts are four, five, and one. Tennessee is six and three. Uh, Jacksonville and the Houston Texans are, are, are no threat. But we could look up if Tennessee loses this game in yeah. Indianapolis, which has a very difficult game with Philadelphia this weekend. Uh, you know, but but I kind of like Indianapolis. I, I think uh, Philadelphia is going to start to come back to the rest of the pack. So I think there's some pressure on Tennessee as well. I, I think if my memory serves me, Tennessee has rested, uh, in my view, rested while playing uh, Derrick Henry the last two weeks. 
against Houston without Tannehill. I think Derrick Henry three weeks ago ran the ball 32 times. Yeah, last week he just ran it just 19 times. And the week before that, I think he only ran it 15 or 16 times. I think that was all with this game in mind. Mm. Let's go to Lambeau and let's load up Derrick Henry. And I expect a heavy load of, of Derrick Henry. And so I, I think, and I like what I saw from Christian Watson, and he may be an answer for the Green Bay Packers, but I like Tennessee tonight. I like Tennessee tonight, like 20 to 17, and Derrick Henry running for 175 yards on about 30-some-odd carries. And then it's like, hey, Derrick, now you, we played on a short week. You got 10 days to rest. I, I think they load up Derrick Henry tonight, and it's four yards and a cloud of dust and a tight, low-scoring victory for the Titans. Yeah, and going back real quickly, Indianapolis Colts, it's one guy, Jonathan Taylor. He's the straw that stirs the drink. He, he has an ability to elevate everyone around him. And again, when you grind that clock and his big playability, he rests the defense. As it relates to tonight, this is going to be interesting. If if they do your game plan and let's they, they start moving the chains, what's one of the best ways to neutralize a great quarterback? You keep him off the field. And look, as long as Ryan Tannehill doesn't lay the ball on the ground and they don't do anything tricky, like last week on Sunday, they had it looked to me like they were controlling that game against the Broncos and they tried Malik Willis with the kind of the read option thing and they fumbled the ball. That game really was not that close. I thought they had physical control of that particular contest for much of that game. I'll say this about the Titans and Mike Vrabel. They have a certain identity of being physical and hard-nosed, and they play up to it almost every single week. But but as great as Derrick Henry is from that quarterback position, you still got to be able to create explosive plays off of everything you do when it comes to play action. We saw a couple weeks ago, Jason, they were the better team against the Kansas City Chiefs. For 55 minutes, they looked like they were going to win that game, but they couldn't get enough production out of the rookie Malik Willis. This is one of those games like Ryan Tannehill. You are a veteran quarterback. You're probably going to throw the ball 20 to 25 times. You have to make them count. Uh, Let's jump over to the NBA, the association. Mm. Uh, Something very interesting going on in Golden State or at Golden State or in the Bay Area. I I think they play in San Francisco now. Uh, that's where their new arena is. Golden State Warriors are six and nine. They're, mm. you know, if there wasn't so much attention being paid to uh, the collapse of the Lakers and LeBron James and Russell Westbrook coming off the bench, I think a lot of people would be talking about, and a lot of people are, but there would be even more conversation about what's going on with the Golden State Warriors. I saw comments yesterday from our last night. Uh, Steve Kerr, they lost again. Uh, last night, Steve Kerr, made, they lost to the Suns, got, got beat up pretty good. And, and Steve Kerr says that everybody's lining up to kick their butt. Everybody wants revenge on Steph Curry and the whole dynasty uh, that they have at Golden State. And, and they're just not ready for it. My question is, did Draymond Green and that punch kill the Golden State Warriors. He's already, he cost them a championship against Cleveland five, six years ago with some stupidity. And now he may have killed this entire dynasty and franchise. He, he cut a big fart 
in the room that they can't get the stench out of there, in my opinion, and that's why they're off to such a slow start. Let's watch this video of Draymond talking about the punch uh, four weeks ago. I actually woke up to the video. Um, once I woke up to the video, I don't know if the, the dynamic necessarily changes or not because you never really know people's opinions right away. Uh, so you get at a time, you know, you give it some time to allow people to throw their opinion out, which quite frankly, I don't care about people's opinion. And to be totally honest with you, I never really knew how much it blew up because I don't really, I don't spend much time like searching Instagram or looking through comments. I don't spend much time, I don't read, really read many tweets at all. And so I was just at home chilling with my children. If you want me to be honest with you, I still don't know how much the world may think it blew up. So Steph Curry has 50 last night, 50 points, and they lose to the Phoenix Suns by 11. Why won't I, this won't click on. I, Jordan Poole last night, 0 of 5 from the field. I can't seem to get to his. But anyway, Draymond punched, as everybody knows, Jordan Poole blackened his eye. Jordan Poole's headed for this big contract. And, and any, I just think the chemistry on this team is way off because of Draymond Green, and this may last all season. Yeah, Draymond the Hitman Green, did he punch <laughs> the game out of Jordan Poole? By the way, that video with the with that music, is Draymond trying to paint himself as the victim? I mean, for, forget the fact Jordan Poole got hit, but he's victimized because the video came. That is some strange framing, as if somehow old Dre Dre is the sympathetic figure here. Here's the, what I believe. The NBA is a marathon. I think it's way too long. With the load management era, most players do not care about all 82 games. When you have Steph Curry and Clay and Draymond and the championship DNA, and to give credit, Steve Kerr, championship pedigree as a coach, I actually would not worry about them. Yeah, they're 6-9. and nine, But again, I get the sense based on their history. They haven't won a game on the road all year, Steve. Oh, they have plenty more road games. There's 800 games in the season. Give me a break. You know how many horse races with that horses in like 14th place coming around that first corner, the Kentucky Derby, right? That's where we're at. I unless it's this until this is the all star. Okay, if we're around the all star break in somewhere what mid February and they're hovering around or below 500, then I'll be concerned. But I'm just saying in a seven game set when a focused team comes together and if Jordan Poole can mentally get right. Who really beats them out of the West? Because the Celtics look really good. But I'm just saying, I, would, I wouldn't panic. I think it's way too early right now based on the recent history of that franchise. Steve, they lost a game last night where Steph Curry had 50 points. It happens. 50 it points. Happens. Again, Phoenix Suns won by double digits on a night when Steph Curry had 50. I, I just can't. I don't know the stats. I, when Steph Curry erupts for 50, them getting blown out, handled by Phoenix, particularly when they're not, you know, 
on, they're, they're struggling and trying to uh, reignite things. Obviously, Steph was trying to reignite things last night, and they couldn't get it done. So Sometimes, I, 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 you know what? It, I can't believe you didn't go here with the analogy. But that punch may end up being like Marshawn Lynch not running the football on 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 that fourth down play or the oh. Super Bowl play where they throw the interception, and and that's the stench of that stopped Seattle from ever being what Seattle looked like they were going to be a dynasty, and and this punch, obviously Golden State already is a dynasty, but this punch may have ended that dynasty because I always thought there was more to the Golden State Warriors than just their talent and shooting ability. It's how much they enjoy playing with each other. There was a special chemistry with that team that may be missing now. You know, that's actually something that has some validity to it. I would love to see the inside the mind of Jordan Fuller and what he really thinks because he's in a tough spot. He cannot spout off anything more than cliches about, oh, we got to stick together. No, we put it. I, I would guarantee in the back of my mind, he probably hates Draymond, thinks he's a bum, thinks he's a cheap shot artist. And you're right, there's probably a lot of tension. So let's say this thing lingers. It's not a trend. This is what they are. I got the perfect solution. Bring back KD. KD's always looking for a way out. Things aren't working in New Jersey. KD, you could be the second or third banana. You can once again eat off of Steph Curry's plate. It's all good. New Jersey, that, that worked out to be a disaster. Voila. Call me the Asian Jerry West. I got it. I solved everyone's problem. There it is. <laughs> all right, uh, Asian Jerry West. Let, let's flip that <laughs> to LeBron James and rumors Ugh. that the Phoenix Suns are perhaps interested in trying to figure out a way uh, to get LeBron to Phoenix, or maybe LeBron's trying to figure out a way to get to Phoenix. He's trying to get out of L.A., get away from Russell Westbrook, get away from Rob Palenka, get away from the always injured Anthony Davis. Would it be a bad look if LeBron James exited the Lakers for the front-running uh, Phoenix Suns to go play with Chris Paul? Would that be a bad look for LeBron well, James? Another okay. bad look for LeBron James. All right, James. well, first of all, you know how you spell Lakers right now? Uh, 10 L's and 3 W's. Uh, you're, that, that framing is very interesting. As if we as the Laker nation, yes, and I know I'm a Laker fan in a hiatus, as if we don't want to get rid of him. In the immortal words of uh, Diana Ross, set me free, why don't you, babe? I'm seriously... If, if that is the resolution that we have, that we could literally get rid of LeBron and the circus that's going to come with him wanting to play with the son, I would do that immediately. I think you that framing is completely incorrect. LeBron wants to get away from us. No, 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 no. We want to get away from LeBron. Please let this happen. We'll take him for a couple six-packs of Coors Light and some camel smokes. Give me a break. Good. I, that, that's right. almost, I hope that happens. I get it. As a Laker fan, you'd want that to happen. I yeah. want you to step into LeBron's shoes, who's worried about his legacy, uh, thinks he's in some kind of competition with Michael Jordan. If he left again for another 
top flight team like this to, you know, go play with Chris Paul and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, would it be a bad look for LeBron? Take your fandom yeah. out of it. Would it be a bad look for LeBron? Absolutely, because now, now he's just trying to basically win another title by taking shortcuts. Look, there's always been that question about that super team that he put together in Miami alongside Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. Then even the Lakers title, there's an asterisk towards it because it's a bubble and, and, and the league seemed to make some concessions there. I, I, let's say this does happen. And led by that young cast of really talented players like Devin Booker, they win a title. You don't think there'll be question marks on that. But at the same point, here's the issue. LeBron lacks a lot of self-awareness. I'm not so sure he even cares. Honestly, LeBron is about one guy. LeBron, that's all he thinks about because there's been a particular pattern with him from his very first days. He makes a franchise better initially, right? He leaves them a lot worse. It's like being married to Liz Taylor, okay? Liz Taylor had a lot of marriages, but at the end, there's a reason why she got divorced a lot. It comes at a price. Comes at a big price. Yeah. Uh, I do think it would be a bad look for LeBron James. I think it would be just another one of the final nails in the LeBron versus Michael Jordan uh, debate, which I think has been settled for a long time. Uh, but I, I don't think he could recover from, you know, going to Phoenix. And look, what, he might be the difference in, in putting Phoenix over the top and able to win a championship, but I think between the bubble championship, having an asterisk, uh, the Miami deal, it, yeah. I'm just telling people, he won two championships in four years. Remember, there were four, five, six, seven championships. They got embarrassed by the Dallas Mavericks. I, I, look, LeBron's greatest accomplishment will end up being going back to Cleveland and upsetting that record-breaking Golden State team. That's his yeah. great accomplishment. Everything else, you can put an asterisk by. Oh, he cherry-picked some titles no. in Miami, and they didn't really live up to the super high expectations. He got a bubble championship uh, in, in L.A., left the organization a mess, and then late in his career, he went and stole another title with the Phoenix Suns. It's just like he's going to have more asterisks than championship rings. He, he can outfit one hand with, with rings and the other one with asterisks. I do think it would be a, a terrible look for LeBron if he bails on the Lakers. But, and, and I guess if I had to bet, Steve, I bet he does. I, I bet I don't expect LeBron to finish this season with the Lakers. Here's the issue, though. Um, would the Lakers be willing to trade to somebody within their division and conference? Not that it matters, but the other card is, all right, but what does LeBron cost you? So, you know, you're talking about this really talented Phoenix Suns nucleus. All right, well, that, that comes at a cost. Some of those guys are going to be picked apart. But again, maybe LeBron suddenly would feel energized with the much younger, more talented team and games that mean anything. But um, Jay, I'm going to say this once again. In L.A., we are now a full month into this NBA season. I have never felt the apathy or downright antipathy towards this franchise than currently 
that is being felt right now. It's really amazing, to be honest with you, how much we don't care about our most beloved franchise. Because if you go back, starting with Magic Johnson's first year, 79-80, they have won by far the most world championships. And right now, we don't give a damn about it. I've never thought I'd see this day. Steve, let me uh, talk to you a little bit because you're experiencing the same thing. Getting older is a big adjustment. It's like you're young and healthy, and eventually it gets hard to stay healthy. Next thing you know, you realize you're not so young, but you're not exactly old. Then it gets even worse. You might get more of a dad bod or elephant bod like me uh, in your... <laughs> Early 2000 Whitlock bot, maybe that, maybe that you can aspire to that. And it's suddenly harder to work out. It's not your fault. As men age, our bodies naturally lose free testosterone. That's because when you were younger, you were at the peak of your production. Wouldn't it be nice to get that winner's edge again and that old swagger back in your step? Nugenics Total T is the number one selling testosterone booster at GNC. It will help you turn back the clock, re-energize your workouts, get you better results at the gym, and help you look and feel like the man you really want to be. Nugenics Total Tea contains man-boosting key ingredients like testofen, which has been validated in five clinical studies. What Nugenics Total Tea does is boost the free testosterone that the aging process robs, so you'll feel stronger and leaner with more energy and drive. Now get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text FEARLESS to 231-231. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you get back into shape fast, absolutely free. Text FEARLESS to 231-231. That's FEARLESS to 231-231. All right, let's go back out to L.A. Steve, there's something interesting about to hit the sports world. Uh, there was no red wave, but there is going to be a wave of controversial players returning to rosters, I'd say, in the next two weeks. Odell Beckham Jr. is going to rejoin the NFL somewhere. Uh, <clears throat> Kyrie Irving is going to be uh, welcomed back in onto the NBA's plantation. Uh, and Deshaun Watson is going to have a happy ending in Cleveland and return to the field. Uh, so you got OBJ, Kyrie, and Deshaun Watson all returning. Who's going to have the bigger impact on a franchise, OBJ, Kyrie, or Deshaun? It's Watson, my dear. It's easy. He's the quarterback, and he's a good one. Putting aside all of the other stuff, Deshaun Watson's a winner. He's been a winner ever since his days at Clemson. Did some special things there. Probably the all-time greatest Clemson Tiger. And then, look, Houston was a relevant, at least a, at least a franchise that could make the playoffs consistently. And he made them a real team. They haven't been the same since. And, and look, the Cleveland Browns are struggling. They're actually in a lot of games. But what Jacoby Brissett shows you is that he's good enough every game to be a backup, okay? A good one. But there are certain limitations. There are certain things he just doesn't do well. Deshaun Watson is a starting quarterback. I think he can be upper level. 
I believe it's an easy question. Because OBJ at this point is a role player, a very good one. It's going to be a second receiver. Kyrie Irving, you can't rely on the guy. Look, I think there's a lot of admirable things about Kyrie Irving. His actual production and the ability to be relied upon as an athlete is not one of them. So this is an easy decision. It is Deshaun Watson. You've got me, the, the whole Deshaun Watson, a winner thing, you've got me now hunting. He went 4-12 and 12 in 2020, his last year. Now, before that, 10-5, and 11-5. Oh, come on. I, 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 guess, I guess it's fair to call him a winner. Uh, although, again, in 2020, his last time starting, eh, things fell he went 4-12 and 12 as a starter. <laughs> Uh, but he did throw 33 TDs and seven interceptions. Yeah, that year. I mean, he, come on. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, come you know on. what? This question is easier than perhaps come I on. thought because, yeah, he's playing quarterback. He's replacing Jacoby Brissett. Cleveland actually has some talent. Yeah. And so he could he could end up being a superstar for Cleveland, and erase the memory of Baker Mayfield. Whereas Kyrie and the Brooklyn Nets, I don't know if that's fixable. Uh, hmm. Kyrie would be my second choice, I guess. Yeah. And OBJ would be third. Uh, although, you know, the Cowboys <laughs> won him desperately, and some people like you give him credit for the Rams and their Super Bowl run last year. <laughs> Not but, all of them. Uh, Wait a minute. You're right. I gave him credit for playing his role. He was a very effective second banana behind Cooper Cup. That, let, let's make that very clear. Let's put that in context. He, he wasn't Aaron Donald. He wasn't Stafford. He wasn't Cooper. But he played a role. That's what he's going to have to be to whatever team he goes to, short of Green Bay, which, again, I, I don't think he wants to be there. That's, that's just my nightlife's probably not to his liking. But the teams that are being talked about like that, like Dallas has a number one receiver, C.D. Lamb. So he's going to have to be a component of the arsenal. Steve, I want to play to your strength. I don't know if I have any great thoughts on this, but you being a boxing guy, I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson are teaming up on a weed project. They're going to sell cannabis or, you know, everybody, that's everybody's favorite thing. That Everybody wants to be a legal drug dealer. Mike Tyson's got a cannabis company. Now he and uh, Vander Holyfield, it's just like marijuana is the biggest thing in the world and every, seems like every brother I know wants to sell cannabis. Uh, it, it's like the end job to have or the e, the, the perfect company to start. Your thoughts on uh, Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield, and I think they're calling it Holy Ear or something like yeah. that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> here, Your thoughts here on my- these two teaming up to sell weed? Look, Mike, look, anything that calms Mike Tyson down, I think should be legalized. He's a much nicer person than he was 20, 25 years ago. Evander's had his issues. Um, he's, he'll put his name on anything. I think he had a line of barbecue sauce. And he was actually part of a reality show where, I think it was on MSNBC, where A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez, helped uh, people get out of their financial doldrums. Evander was one of the people. So, look, he's lost a lot of money. I, he's a, an exalted figure in the sport of boxing. I hope it works out well. But my main thought on this, as they're teaming up and they're endorsing this great, fine product, I'm just glad they're not endorsing FTX. 
Now that would have been an issue. Now that that would have been like that would have been unfortunate. I mean, Tom Brady's getting caught up in this, but it taught me a lesson. I'm looking at this whole sudden Sam Bakeman. I'm just gonna say this right now. The next time there's this ultra rich, wealthy guru who's so philanthropic and nice, don't trust him. It's a lesson, and I've thought this for a while. Anyone that goes on social media or does an interview and has to sell you that I'm such a nice guy, I'm so altruistic, oh, I'm so – no, don't believe him. Because I'm going to say this. The next time there's a guru that's going to do stuff, he better have 10 Instagram models on his arm. He better be driving a Lambo, and he better say stuff like, gentlemen, greed is good. Now, you do that. Now, that's a guy. That's a guy I'll follow. Because think about it. A guy like Bankman, you know why he's so generous? Because he's using your money. <laughs> that's the hustle of it all. So, again, so the next guy that's going to be this rich guy that's so popular, you better be a narcissistic, greedy, booze hound, and you better be into some dime pieces. Because those are the guys we can trust. That's my thoughts on that. My thoughts. Oh, so you just took Holyfield and Tyson and turned it into FTX yeah. and Tom Brady. Yeah. And and you I just created a movie. Sued. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to You just created sued. a movie. Right. The Wolves, the Wolves of Weed Street. That should be the mm. name yes. of their cannabis company. The Wolves yes. of Weed Street. Yeah. I like that. I, I'll send that suggestion. Thank you. Uh, Thank to you. Tyson and Holyfield. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Steve Kim. Until we meet again, all right, you can email us uh, at fearlessblazeshow at gmail, fearlessblazeshow at gmail. Uh, send me an email and tell me how much better I am uh, than Steve Kim. I'm tired of getting these emails about how great Steve Kim is and we need more Steve Kim. Don't put, if you're in the comments right now, you need to be taking a dump on Steve Kim and praising me. I'm reading your comments right now if you're in the chat. Uh, praise your boy, not Steve Kim. All right, uh, don't go anywhere. Uh, Dave Shannon, the Idaho Potato, uh, our man of the biblical variety, Dave Shannon. Time to talk to our man, Dave Shannon. Uh, Dave, I got a topic that I think is uh, right up your alley. Dave, of course, the host of Cross Politic um, and a contributor, one of our fearless soldiers here at Fearless. Dave, uh, the Senate appears to be planning to codify uh, same-sex marriage. Twelve Republican senators uh, have joined 50 Democrat senators. Uh, they're concerned. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, shortly after the overturn of Roe v. Wade, insinuated that uh, there may be some momentum to overturn Oberfeld versus Hodges, which in 2015 uh, legalized same-sex marriage across the country. And, and out of fear of Justice Thomas, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and everybody started immediately talking about we got to codify same-sex marriage on the federal level. And <clears throat> I, I used it to make the point that uh, beliefs, particularly religious beliefs, are under attack and feelings 
are being prioritized and protected and beliefs are up for grabs. And, and it's, we, we have a world being run on feelings and thoughts and a world that's hostile to beliefs, particularly religious beliefs. And that's why Senate, 12 Republicans, 50 Democrats, uh, they don't care what the Bible has to say about marriage. It's, it's a sacred covenant between man and a woman. The whole concept of marriage comes from the Bible but our lawmakers are about to change what God created, what the Bible created to fit their worldview. Uh, for just want your general reaction to what appears to be set in motion uh, by Chuck Schumer, the majority leader of the Senate, and, and a lot of collaborators on the right. Uh, well, first, Jason, I, I want to really speak to what you said about feelings and emotion. I think that masculinity allows emotions to actually be okay and to be in the right place. When you have masculinity there, it's kind of like putting the fire inside of the fireplace. Masculinity holds it all together. My wife can be emotional. My wife can kind of throw some tantrums here or there because I'm solid as a rock and she is resting in me and I have this whole thing put together. But when you remove masculinity, feminine emotions get control of the whole situation. It's like taking the fire outside of the fireplace and moving it onto the mantle or moving it into the kitchen and moving it into the living room floor. It's going to burn up everything. But emotions put properly in its right place inside of a man who knows how to control those things and guide them and, and disciple those things, it's really a good thing. And we shouldn't remove that. But when you don't have masculinity, you don't have any control of it. On the other side of that, Jason, as far as the Senate is concerned, I really have to go to the great prophet Kenny Rogers in chapter four, verse six, when he says, you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away and you got to know when to run. Peace be upon him, by the way. Uh, we are in that situation right now where I feel like we have lost. We have. I mean, this is a marvelous play run by the Democrats. Roe v. Wade got overturned. They saw that um, gay marriage might be overturned. And so they're like, man, we need to codify this. They put it up in July and then they hold it until after the midterms. This is like a flea flicker. And then they bring it out after the midterms, after they've already got all the Republicans they want on their side to help turn this thing. It's just a brilliant political play. And we've got played by it. And now the very people that we thought were going to protect us from something like this, the Democrats have them on their side. Jason, we've lost the high ground in this. And I think we need to regroup. We have to figure out and understand that giving this type of um, control over of marriage over to our Senate and political pundits and representatives is like saying that they're prophets of God that get to rain down what new morality that they hear from God. Oh, I'm sorry. What new morality they as God want to enact. And we need to take a step back and say, wait a second, if we don't have control over our legislators anymore, we don't feel like we have control over our voting anymore. We don't feel like that we're being heard as it relates to our president and our leaders anymore, that we need to step all the way back and say, what is it that we actually have control over? Because we've lost all that and we feel like we lost all that, which is what I think people are understanding what's resonating with Trump. We've lost all this and Trump can bring it back to us. 
But I want to say we need to step away from politics for the next eight years and get super, super local. And the first way to regroup with all of this is with our pastors and our churches. You know, after this, this coming Sunday, every pastor should get on his pulpit, light it on fire and preach against homosexual marriage and preach for the goodness of what marriage brings to a nation and preach against the senators that are trying to act as God and then say, we will not move. So I think they need to do two things, repent and rebuke. The reason that the Senate and our politicians feel like it's okay for them to play God is because the church has allowed them the opportunity to do so. Marriage belongs to the church. It is the church's institution. They are the ones who guard it. They are the ones who bless it, and they are the ones who curse it. They guard marriage, but they gave up marriage to our political pundits to the point that they don't have any control over it. And so they need to repent. And then the next thing they need to do is rebuke everybody, every other institution that is trying to take control of it. I love what you just said there in terms of the church has been so spayed and neutered and has so little say so. And, and part of the church, I think, is like happy about it is or, or yep. doesn't want the responsibility of leadership. And so, hey, look, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go there when I look at the Church of Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ, the Mormon church, and, and someone sent me an explanation of like, hey, you know, we, we're against, this is a Mormon who wrote me an email saying we're against same-sex marriage, but we believe in following the law of the land, and so if the, that's where the law is going, we're gonna be respectful of it, but we're still against it. And again, I, I just see like, well, hold on, this, marriage thing is strictly a religious thing. It comes from the Bible. It should be policed and governed by the church. Damn what some politicians say, this is ours. We, we and, and if we don't want to be associated with this, we don't have to adopt it. We don't have to respect it. And, and, and Dave, I, I've always, this is why I've been so reluctant to vote, because I just don't trust politicians. And people are sitting around going, oh, the Republicans let us down. Did they really? Did you really believe they were going to stand up and draw a line in the sand on anything? And this, people don't understand it. Yesterday when, I, when I'm like, I'm gonna press the pause button on jumping off this Trump train that everybody else is jumping off of, because, the, Say what you want about him. He did on some issues. He drew a line in the sand and stood firm and didn't play politics. Maybe Ron DeSantis has a pair like that as well. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but but I, I, this is I'm not surprised. This is kind of what I expected. And I expected it because, again, these social media apps have so much control of our public conversation. And they're all built on triggering emotion and people giving in to their thoughts and feelings and they diminish beliefs. Social media is hostile to religious faith and beliefs. And, and so, and politicians are constantly on social media checking to see which way the wind is blowing. And that's why you've got 12 Republicans. And so I was talking to, uh, 
Well, I'm, I'm not going to say the name, but I was talking to someone I respect that was making the analogy that for evangelicals, particularly white evangelicals, the Republican Party is what the Democrat Party is for black people. Evangelicals put all their faith. Yeah, these Republicans are going to stand up for us and our values. They're going to help us and they always let them down. Black people, oh, the Democrat Party is gonna save us from X, Y, and Z, they're gonna help us, they're gonna stop the racists, and our life's gonna be better. Nothing ever happens, life never improves, and that's where I go with this, and Royce White is open-minded, this whole uniparty, they're actually, they're, these politicians aren't there to do good. That the only thing, you have to force them to do good, and that's why I agree with you, that starts on the local level. Jason, anytime we put our faith in anything other than Christ, it's going to fail us. And I think whoever your friend is telling you this, I can't agree with them more. The Republican Party have put their faith in our politicians to be able to save us, and they're not going to save us. Jason, when Israel went into battle and they lost the battle, the first thing that the leader would do would go back and he would repent because he's like, where did I misplace my trust? Where was I not putting my trust in Christ? How in the world did we lose the battle? It must have been me being faithless. Jason, we are a faithless, feckle people who are putting our hope in another human being because we don't want to trust Christ and do the hard work. The only way that we get out of this is stop thinking that we're going to win some sort of national battle at the top with the presidency and our politicians to fix everything that, and make it trickle all the way down. That's not how God has designed the world. We have a broken cosmology of how the world works. It starts with something in the ground first that comes up to the top and has deep roots that then feeds out fruit to everything else. You don't get to the roots by getting to the fruit. It goes the other way around. And so that's why my contingency is, Let's, let's stop and repent. Let's say, oh, man, it's just in this marriage act, the marriage belongs to the church. Let's get back to saying that. I don't need a license from the federal government to tell me that I've been married. We've given that up. Marriage belongs to the church. They can acknowledge it, but they don't get to grant it because if they get to grant it, then they get to define it. And that's just in one area. We need to go back to full education. The reason that social media has some sort of foothold and ground inside of our current culture is because the education system has been breeding that for a long, long time so that social media now is just a fan that pushes that scent throughout society. And we're like, mm, I'm familiar with that because I've been trained by it. The education system isn't Christian. The education system isn't building the Adam and Eve cosmology. The education system has been building exactly the same things that we see in our culture and society and in our politics and even on social media, which is why it resonates so much with the rest of the world. Jason, the Republicans were shocked that their messaging didn't work in the midterms. The Republicans could not. They were trying to figure out. We thought we were going to do so good in this time and they couldn't figure out why all the polls was wrong. The Democrats for the last 50 years have been educating a group of people that say you should have handouts. You should have your education paid for you. We need to do more for you. We got to fix this. What do you want? The Republicans weren't talking necessarily like that. And they got they got completely cleaned up to me as far as I'm concerned. What resonates with this group of people 
is the education that they've been getting for the last 20 or 30 years. You are not going to appeal to that group of people by talking about hard work, getting your hands dirty, biblical marriage, Christian foundation. They don't have any of that. We have to do what the Democratic Party did in 2006. Remember what they did with Obama? Obama was everywhere, but he was everywhere at a ground level first. I remember people in my community who were starting all sorts of nonprofits to get out and vote, training us to think about politics, how politics work. They started, the Democrats in 2006 started a massive ground game that by 2008, Obama was even the Republican candidate's (laughs) choice. And it was amazing to see that their ground game has such a massive impact on us. Republicans have switched from the ground game into a federal game where they say, if we can get the top, then we can control everything underneath it. That's the wrong way to go. And we have to regroup starting first with our churches and repenting there. I hear you, Dave. What do you think of my contention that like, screw the Republican Party. Again, <laughs> go back and do what you're talking about, local yep. level, and then impose your will in your house, neighborhood, city, county, church. Well, you know, make, make anybody that you actually, people you come in contact with on a regular basis, let them feel the force of your biblical worldview and impose that on them. And then as, as you build that up from the ground up, and then just see which political party is actually willing to stand on that and vote for only for politicians that have shown and proven to you that they will stand on that. And I could care less whether they're Democrat or Republican. Because uh, I, I don't trust any of them. They all just want to make a buck, it seems like to me. And, and you know, I look at Mitch McConnell. I, I look at, yep. you know, th- this whole thing, the, the, the whole same-sex deal, the, the marriage, respect for marriage, it all seems so orchestrated and planned and manipulated and agreed upon with everybody that's in on it, right and left. Oh, you guys need 12, 13, how many, how many you need? We'll give them to you. We'll serve them up. We think, you know, we, five or six of these people are retiring, stepping out of politics, and that's why they, they did it, or they're, or they're going to get voted out and they know it. And so that's half, of, it, it just, I, I, I don't trust either political party, I guess is what I'm saying, Dave. I, I, I really don't. That's right. No, and I think you're right, too, because our political parties, you know, um, they're not representing us at all. Or should I say maybe they're actually representing us exactly how they're supposed to. Maybe we're the ones that shouldn't be trusted because they if we have leaders like that, it's because we've been that kind of people and they're just showing us the reality of who we really are. I think that's there. But, Jason, while you were talking, what I thought about is the two most important groups right now. And they're really under attack. If you look at culture and society, those groups are women and children. Now, this is not an accident. This is a direct play since the beginning of time. The reason that the devil went after Eve was because she was Adam's wisdom to help him produce children to create a holy seed to take over the whole world. And so man's biggest strength and weapon in this fight are women and children. And who are the two number one groups right now that the enemy is going after in our politics, in our churches, in culture and society? 
women and children. They're trying to deface them and take away the image of God in them. And so this goes to my point that you were saying earlier, Jason. We need to pull back and we need to refocus and build up our women, build up our children and pour ourselves into them, pour Give ourselves to our work so that we can build a culture, local culture in our home that is a strong pillar so that our wives can build and cultivate the type of children that we need to have to be our new mayors, our new city councils, our new governors, our new president, our new senates. We don't get those unless we get local first and particularly local in the home. When the gospel of Jesus Christ, when a man loves his wife and he raises his children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that has an impact on society that cannot be stopped by any politician or any evil from the wicked one. And until we go back to our secret weapon, which is our women and our children, we will not win this battle no matter how much or with any party, Republican or Democrat. We won't win this battle until we go back there. We have seen that that's where the attack is, and that's where we need to protect and cultivate. And so all this politics, all these things going on, is just evident that we're not, and I'm not talking about the world, I'm just talking about Christians. We are not protecting our women. We are not cultivating them in such a way that they feel free to operate and to work and feel safe so that they make kids for us in the next eight years. Let's just pull back from politics for the next eight years and work on our families. Work on our sons, that they become the kind of men that protect women, that don't let men jump into things. Pull our kids out of these sports where we're seeing men engage and start making our own environments, our own culture, and build that up. And let, Jason, if Christianity is the foundation, if marriage is the foundation of society in the world, what happens when Christians pull out of secular institutions? They fall. If we are there to build up our own, then they will fall and we'll have something in place of that. We've built it once. We can build it again. And if these idiots choose to deny God and his realities, then let them be under the judgment that they choose while we build a society better again. Thank you, Dave. Great job. Uh, We will circle back. Have a great week. Rest of the week. Good weekend. Uh, Go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit notification. Subscribe. Uh, First Lady of the Fearless Army, Shanika Michelle. Thanks. Shamika, uh, I need you to make it make sense. Uh, I've given, you know, I've spoken at some funerals uh, in the last 20, 25 years. Someone in my family dies. People normally ask me to speak. I've given some good eulogies. I've given some bad eulogies. Uh, My uncle my favorite uncle, I had several uncles, but my favorite uncle, Uncle John, very close to me, he was a tremendous uncle, um, not the greatest father, uh, just being honest. And I talked about, me and my uncle were close, and I talked about at his funeral how he had regrets about being an awesome uncle and not the greatest father. Uh, And I I did it in a way trying to honor him and say, hey, here's a life lesson we can take as a family. You you don't want to 
go to your grave with regrets and thoughts about, did I do enough for my kids? And uh, not everybody in my family liked the, the eulogy. They just wanted me to crack jokes about how, what a great relationship me and my uncle did, because we did. He was my favorite uncle. I, I, this shows two family order in it to tell you how close we were and some of the stupid things he did for me that, but you know, he was into gambling like I was. <laughs> And he was into everything that I was into. Uh, so I've given good ones, I've given bad ones. Uh, but I saw a young lady talking about her father and I thought it was a terrible eulogy. And so I needed you to make it make sense. Let's take a watch, let's take a look. But dad, please know that while I am grateful and highly aware of all that you've given this family, I still don't miss you. When you died, I felt like there was a hole. I missed something, but it wasn't you. It was the idea of what you could become. I miss being able to hope and wish that one day you turn a corner and see the world from my perspective. I miss the idea that one day you might help me fight for the things that matter. I missed my fantasy of you. Because when you died, it solidified the fact that you'll never be what you could have been, but only what you are. And what you are is a racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, Trump-loving, cis-straight white man. That is all you will ever be to me. And Dad, before you tell me to respect the dead, please remember that you disrespected and disregarded the lives and deaths of entire communities of people with your ideology. You told me to never back down, so I won't. You know for a fact that even against you, I'm not afraid to share my peace. You are everything I aspire not to be, and I refuse to stand up here and sing the praises of a man who is the paradigm of white supremacy. So I'll take your racist mindset, I'll take your money, and I'll take your advice. And I swear to God I will make this world a better place, not at all because of you, but in exact opposition to you. Wow. People applaud it. Uh, can you make that make sense for me? I don't know if I can make it make sense, Jason, but I, I'll try. You know, I've been divorced from my children's father for 10 years, but I would have dragged them off the stage into the, and left the skin on their knees behind. That was so disrespectful. I saw a coward who had so much smoke for a dead man in a box because he couldn't get up and smack her in the mouth the way she needed to be. And I thought, this is mental illness. Where was her mother or where was anybody to pull her off the stage. Now, I can't say this with all assurity, but I've never been dead. So, but I don't think he could hear her. What is the point of saying this in front of an audience out loud, speaking to your father is what she acted as if she was doing. What, what What's the point of that? That is mental illness. I always look at people crazy, even when I see them go to someone, uh, Paige, who has died and begin to talk to them as if they're saying, wait a minute, let me check Facebook. I know I'm dead, but let me see what they had to say on Instagram. That's mental illness to me. And this is what we've allowed. I think some of the people that clapped may be felt like they didn't know what else to do. They were shocked and they were stunned, but somebody should have walked on that stage and escorted that little girl off. And if I was her mother, it would have been me. Like, I just thought that was ridiculous and disrespectful and it serves no real purpose. If you wanna write down your thoughts at home and put them in the ocean and let them float out or burn them or whatever, but to do that on stage in public for someone that is gone on and you to say he's racist and misogynistic, but you'll take his money. 
that looks crazy and it's going to look crazy to most sane people for years to come because once it's on the internet it's it's forever so i i just thought that not only was she uh crazy everybody that allowed her to continue to do that speech is just as insane i agree and and I, I just, we've created this culture, again, where we're all our own little gods and we all do this really harsh judgment of each other. And I, I just, if, if her father had abused her, if she wanted to get up and say, my father used to beat the skin off me for no reason and blah, blah, blah. My father sexually molested me and y'all needed to know that. I would all, I could go there. But, but it, it sounds like, oh, he supported Trump and I've bought all the social media narratives and this is what it means about him and this, that, and the third. I, I just don't get it. Me and my father disagreed on race and some other things. So he didn't like some of the women I dated and all that. My father had some racial hangups, but my father's one of the greatest men I've ever known and bestowed or put in instilled in me things, values and, and, and a work ethic, respect for myself, respect for my mother, uh, that I, I just, it's irreplaceable. And so yes, he had some flaws, uh, but, but no way did they overwhelm or it needed to be spoken about uh, at his funeral in such a disrespectful way. But again, it's like we've, we're training each other to hate each other. Mm -hmm. That's all I could see there is like social media and this little social justice warrior environment trained this woman to hate her father. That is not a healthy thing. Uh, it's, it's this, we don't have any biblical beliefs, judge not lest ye be judged. Somebody can get up and say a lot of nasty things about her. Mm -hmm. And and they can certainly say a lot of nasty things about me. It's like she can't see her own flaws. That's why she's so comfortable talking about somebody else's flaws. Uh, that was sickening to me. Yeah, and she could have opted uh, and, to not say anything. I'm sure that there are yes. family members that have problems with people who have died that just choose not to say anything. Some may not even come to the service, but you know, this is she chose to do something else, and I just think it was really disrespectful. Uh, I agree. Uh, Shamika, you brought to my attention uh, another story, uh, this one about Michelle Obama. Uh, she, I guess she told the Washington Post, the story is written in the Washington Post, Michelle Obama says Americans weren't ready for her natural black hair. So <laughs> that makes it, I want to do an approval rating on Michelle Obama because I want your overall thoughts on Michelle Obama. I want your thoughts about the hair thing and then we'll break it down in an approval rating. Uh, so your thoughts, so was America not ready 
uh, for Michelle Obama's natural black hair, I know everywhere I went during the Obama pregnancy, uh, presidency, that's all anybody was talking about was her natural hair. I mean, you, you just, that conversation was just ever, I'd go to football games, basketball games, every, America was just talking about her natural black hair. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, you know what I want black women to, to, to stop doing, Jason, is lying. Nobody <laughs> hates natural black hair more than the black woman. And they constantly say, oh, white people, white people, white people, or black men don't accept it. And that's just a lie. Take accountability and say that you're insecure. Take accountability and say that you don't feel as comfortable with your own hair instead of constantly blaming someone else. I don't think it was that America wasn't ready for her black hair in the White House. If you look at her college pictures and her older pictures, she's not ready for her own natural hair because she's consistently tried to either chemically process it or thermally process it to make it straight. So this is just a lie and black people keep perpetuating that and pointing the finger at someone else. No one spends more money trying to not look like themselves than black women. When I went to the White House, one of these time, the times that I went, I had my hair in twists. I posted a picture and nobody got under my, my picture to have something negative to say, but black women. So this whole thing that America's not ready or white people don't like natural black hair is just projection. Black women don't like black women's hair. They don't like the, hair, the way the hair grows out of their scalp. And so they point the finger at somebody else. It's a lie and I'm sick of them saying it. And now they actually have their little girls walking around with a head full of weed because they don't accept their little girls the way they actually are naturally. So it's a lie and I'm sick of hearing it. And we got to start calling it out because it's time for them to stop pointing fingers at somebody else when they don't accept themselves. Mm. You said a mouthful there. Uh, now, which leads me, I knew you'd have a great opinion on this hair deal, but I'm also interested in your overall opinion of just Michelle Obama's first lady as a public figure. Uh, I, right now, she's a political operative uh, for the Democratic Party. Uh, wife of Barack Obama, that's her job. So in job performance as a political operative for the Democratic Party and Barack Obama's beard or wife or whatever uh, my, uh, Michelle is, uh, I'm gonna give her a 22 in job performance. She does her job well, or whatever her, her pronouns are. Correct. I gave her a 22 as well, simply because I do think that she represented the first lady role very well. But I also gave her a 22 for job performance because as a race baiter, she's doing exactly what they would like her to do. Every time I turn around, she's talking about, I'm black, so they didn't hear me. I'm black, so they didn't like my hair. Girl, you are the most recognized woman in, in the world for at least eight years, and I'm sure still now. Stop, come on, just just stop the lies. I'm tired of it. So job performance. They put her on the cover of nearly damn near every magazine America had to offer. Sports mm -hmm. Illustrated, I'm sure, probably wanted her for the swimsuit issue. Everybody set up and lied and act like she was black Jackie Kennedy Onassis, 
and she, you know, closer to to young Oprah. I mean, not young Oprah Winfrey, young Whoopi Goldberg than Jackie Kennedy Onassis. But, but I just, what is she complaining about? They everybody ran around act like she was a supermodel, and she was Bo Derek Atten. Yeah. Six at best. I'm so. Brock, I don't understand why Brock never got that underbite fixed. I, you know that 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 tells a story that in my older, less, more worldly days, I got jokes for days about why Brock never put braces on her. But I can't do it anymore. So <laughs> I can't, I'm I'm a different man now. So I, I still remember him and still will laugh in private. But anyway, uh, let's go to character. Uh, I find her low character, to be honest with you. I, I, I really do. I find her low character. Uh, you know, I didn't like the complaints about America and how she, that she finally feels like America is on a good path and all this other. I, I, I'm not a fan of Michelle Obama. I gave her a six in character. And I gave her a zero because mm. of the whole race baiting thing. I'm just tired of hearing it from some woman who is esteemed. She's esteemed by blacks, whites, Hispanics, Asians. She's highly esteemed. And so for her to keep running this whole narrative that, you know, she's overlooked and unappreciated, I don't like it. I think that's poor character. Uh, authenticity. She has convinced me that she believes the stuff she says. I, you know, she is, again, everybody, I'm gonna go with one of them tropes again, and I, I love her, a trope, that's a trope, that's a trope. Don't use tropes, don't use, she's the angry black woman. And she, she, that, she, that comes real natural to her. So I gave her a 21 in authenticity. And Jason, I gave her a zero. Because I, I don't know if it's Obama, but I think somebody has their hand up her ass and she's just a puppet and she's just saying what the Democrat Party wants her to say. I don't believe it. I don't think she even believes it. And so I gave her a zero for um, authenticity. I don't think she's authentic at all. Mm. Uh, it factor. You heard, you know, I don't gave her a six. Um, she ain't got it. She got, you know, I'm sorry, people can kill me if they want, but I'm not going to sit up here and lie and act like this is, she ain't Melania Trump, she ain't Angela Bassett, she ain't Kerry Washington, she ain't none of these people that they run her out there and act like she, none of that. She does have an it factor. People do seem to hang on her every word or whatever. So I gave her a 14 for it factor. And I gave her a 19, Jason, simply because she's a, I was really happy that Obama had a black, black woman, uh, like a P-H-A-T black Are woman. Are we sure? But or, it, I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm, sorry. I, no, I'm not positive. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm not positive. Oh, I'm going to burn in hell. <laughs> but I gave her a 19 because she, like you said, she isn't the looker, but she was able to carry herself well. She dressed well. She was in shape. She was fit. Now, maybe those arms come more easily for her because, you know, men gain muscle faster. I don't know. But I think she had nice arms. And um, so I gave her a 19 for, for it factor. 
Let me stop this before we both get in trouble. <laughs> 63, grease fire. You've got her at a 41, dumpster fire. Uh, we're both getting canceled for this entire segment, uh, but at least we kept it truthful and authentic. Uh, I, I, I can't do it. I can't, I can't. Fingernails on the chalkboard for me, I'm sorry. Too angry, too blessed to be that angry. Uh, that's tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Freedom, I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just want to have freedom. Sitting on a corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving, all receiving. We all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just want